Hello, and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist analysis podcast from the Socialist Party. This episode, we're continuing our analysis of the 2019 Euro elections, but looking beyond Britain, the continent as a whole. Ruling establishment parties have had their noses bloodied, the Greens and populist right made gains, and the overall picture is turmoil for the European capitalists. So what is the cause of all this political turbulence? Why didn't the left make gains out of it? And how can workers in Europe capitalise on the crisis for the bosses? We'll be hearing a view from the Committee for Workers International, the World Socialist Organisation which the Socialist Party in England and Wales is part of. Thanks very much for that, Scott. So this episode we'll be talking to Bob Larby from the Committee for a Workers International. Thanks for joining us, Bob. Great pleasure. And we're going to be discussing the political situation across the continent of Europe in the wake of the recent EU elections. In the last episode, we discussed the ramifications in Britain, and now we're looking more generally at Europe as a whole. So the first question, which I think our listeners might like to know about, is, of course, the recent EU election results were a real mixed bag across the entire continent. So what does the Committee for a Workers International consider were the main features If you look in general at the countries, the main features was a continuing rejection of many of the traditional parties and also a deep scepticism towards the different structures of the different uh, states, Mm. both, if you like, the structures of the individual states, like you saw that in rejection of ruling parties, parties in individual states, and also the continuing suspicion of the EU itself. And the CWI has analysed these results as linked to the 2007 to 2008 financial crash and the economic crisis which has played out since then. Why is that? Well, really, the last 12 years or so have been a tremendous turning point. The, not just the impact of the crisis which, uh, which uh, developed you know, 12 years ago, but also the continuing effects of these of this uh, crisis economically politically and socially mm. that in most countries of the world especially in Europe and also in North America there's been a decline of living standards mm-hmm. that in many countries including like in Britain and some other countries in Europe there's the living standards today are still below what they were before the last uh, crisis uh, hit. Mm. And at the same time as you've had this big decline in living standards and in and a generally worsening of social uh, conditions, there's also been this tremendous polarisation of wealth towards the very tops of the uh, ruling class. And all of that has fueled this growing dissatisfaction, and as I said before, a rejection in many countries of traditional parties and also the traditional structures as well. And there's been political developments, haven't there? There's been new left formations, for example. We've seen Corbynism in this country. You mentioned North America. There's been the Bernie Sanders phenomenon. We've seen Syriza in Greece, Podemos in Spain. What kind of results did they receive? Well, I think you. before we look at what actually happened in the elections, what we need to remember is that in many countries, the initial response to the impact of the crisis was an idea of resistance, mm. of fighting to try and prevent living standards uh, falling. And we saw that in country after country. Not in every country. For instance, in Germany, the trade union leaders agreed with the uh, employers, the idea of tightening the belts, saying to German workers, tighten the belts, accept 
uh, drop in living standards, but that will be temporary, but at least you'll keep your jobs and then things will get better. So that was a sort of exception. But in many other countries, including uh, in, in Britain and elsewhere, we saw resistance against the effect of the crisis. Mm. Sometimes the resistance was based in trade unions or in social struggles, but also in political developments as well. Mm-hmm that you saw a searching for new parties, like some of the, the parties which you just uh, mentioned, where you saw developments of completely new formations, like Podemos in uh, in Spain, or where, like in Greece with Syriza, existing small formations, small left formations, suddenly developed mass uh, support. And this was the initial reaction to the, uh, to the uh, crisis. But then, as soon as these uh, developments took place... They they were put to the test. What happened in many countries, unfortunately, is that the protest movements which developed were often handicapped by the role of the existing trade union leaders where they attempted to prevent all-out confrontations uh, developing. And we saw they, that in this country, didn't we, with the uh, the November 30th pension strikes in 2011? Well, exactly. You had a momentum in this country, but it was similar in other countries as well in uh, Europe. You had protest movements, which the trade union leaders, because they weren't prepared, really, to challenge the ruling classes, mm. because many of the trade union leaders accepted the idea of working within capitalism, and therefore weren't really prepared to challenge the system, they tried to limit these uh, movements. We saw that in the Republic of Ireland, where you had a big protest movement against the effects of the, of the, uh, of the cuts, but then the trade union leaders, in what was called the Croke Park Agreement, made a deal with the uh, government to end the, uh, to end the uh, protests. Mm-hmm. This gave rise to a sort of questioning of the role of the trade union uh, leaders, but also in other countries where you had political developments most of these political forces, which either were entirely new or, as I said before, suddenly developed uh, mass support, were put to a test. And unfortunately, most of them failed the test in the sense of not fighting for a real change or not even fighting to defend uh, living standards. Mm. And perhaps most markedly, of course, uh, there was the case of Syriza, wasn't there? whose abject failure, unfortunately, after organising a mass referendum against austerity to really stand up to the European Union, has had terrible repercussions. And that's part of, as you say, most of these new left formations coming out of the economic crisis, unfortunately not having delivered. But why, for example, has that resulted resulted in a swing to PSOE, which is in effect an establishment party, formerly social democratic, in the Spanish state? I think you have to look at the different... um at each individual uh, country. In Greece, the example which you gave of Syriza has given rise to the uh, victory of the right-wing party, uh, New Democracy, Mm -hmm. and the calling of early elections for July this year, which it's likely that New Democracy will actually win Mm -hmm. quite uh, quite, uh, decisively. But at the same time, there is a polarisation in society, in many societies, and therefore in that situation, like in Spain, where you had an attempt by the right-wing parties to seize the initiative. In that situation, the polarisation continued. But what happened was that Podemos, the new left party which had developed, was not seen as an alternative. Mm. And in that situation, the uh, voters, if you like, rallied around PSOE, the uh, Spanish Social Democratic Party, which previously had carried out cuts, but was seen as a lesser evil 
to the right-wing parties. And in that polarised situation, PSOE were able to get a, become the largest party in the Spanish uh, election. But that flowed from the situation in, in Spain uh, itself. It wasn't repeated in, other, in, other, uh, in, in all the other countries of Europe. So uh, that particular situation, would you say, was it that Podemos had been really supporting the kind of policies put forward by PSOE and not putting forward a clear alternative line? That was part of the reason, and therefore in that situation, people didn't see the point in voting for uh, Podemos, given that Podemos, the Podemos leadership, was saying they would support a PSOE government. And in that situation, where Podemos itself did not have a clear programme, there was a natural feeling to rally around PSOE as the, if you like, as a way of trying to block the uh, right-wing uh, victory. But even having said that, there was still a polarisation in Spain mm. with the development of the new right-wing party, the Vox, which scored a success in the general election in Spain, which was then followed in the European election a few weeks later in that country. So you've got there in Spain, despite the victory of PSOE, a polarisation, and for the first time in many years in Spain, the development of a far-right uh, party with sizable support. And in fact, the far right and the populist right have made some gains throughout these European elections. Why do you think that is? I think it's a combination of different factors. On the one hand, there is the, the issue that in a number of countries, the traditional left or even the so-called new left forces which developed didn't provide an answer, didn't, if you like, didn't provide a, a, a way out of the uh, crisis. And in that situation, it prepared the way for the far right, using populist slogans to try and build uh, to try and build support, in some cases quite uh, significantly, mm. and we've seen this before, even before the crisis, in a number of uh, countries mm -hmm. where the far right, using a combination of populism, a bit like Trump uh, uses in the uh, U.S., where he pretends to be for the ordinary working man against the elite and things uh, like that, but mm -hmm. that's not a new phenomenon. We've seen that in other countries as well. And on this basis, it's allowed the right, the far right, the populist right, to get a certain echo. At the same time, they've exploited in different countries nationalism, mm -hmm. maybe uh, in different forms nationalism, even in the form of nationalism against the EU in the sense of defending, quote, small countries against the big countries inside the uh, EU, mm -hmm. but also exploiting in a number of countries the big wave of uh, migration which uh, Europe saw a few uh, years ago, where the social questions which the migration, uh, the big uh, increase in migration posed was not answered by the uh, left. When a situation of social crisis, a rapid increase in population naturally posed the question of where are the social resources going to be mm. to provide homes, jobs, health care, education for the, for the uh, migrants. And the fact that many of the left uh, forces really adopted a purely moral point of view that mm. refugees are welcome here without answering the social questions allowed the elements of the far right to exploit the uh, migration, partly on the basis of nationalism, there was an element obviously of racism as well, but also arguing in a demagogic way that the country couldn't uh, afford uh, the big increase in population, therefore it had to be, therefore it had to be controlled. And the only way of answering that would have been challenging the capitalist system itself and mm. saying that there are the potential resources to provide uh, these. Um, 
the necessary resources, etc., the necessary improvement in the conditions. But the only way you can do that is by struggling against capitalism itself. So, of course, the far right playing on these understandable fears, particularly in working class communities, of diminishing resources in a time of austerity, of privatisation and so on, at the same time is defending the very economic and social system which is forcing those privations on working class people. Now, the other big winners in the EU elections would be perceived to be the Greens. What do you think that means? I think that the Green uh, successes uh, reflect a number of different issues. On the one hand, obviously, we've seen a very important movement in a number of countries recently on the question of climate change, demanding action mm. to uh, prevent the uh, degeneration of the uh, climate, to act against the uh, environmental threats which are posed at the uh, present time. And obviously, the size of these protests, even though Quite a number of those people protesting were young people who in many countries didn't have the right to, to vote. Yeah. Nevertheless, it had an important impact in the whole of uh, in society as well. But also you had a situation in a number of countries where the Greens were seen as a sort of semi-established party, which nevertheless could be, see, could be viewed as an alternative. That certainly was the case, for instance, in in Germany, mm-hmm. where the where the Greens had a, a big uh, success, even though in some ways they are an established establishment party. The Greens are in different parts of Germany, in coalition with all different sorts of parties. Mm-hmm. They have no uh, co- problem with being in coalition with the right wing uh, Christian Democrats or with the Social Democratic Party. Perhaps it's a bit forgotten now, but in at the beginning of this century, when the uh, Greens were in national government in Germany with the uh, Social Democrats to introduce quite brutal attacks on the unemployed in Germany, the so-called Hartz Fear uh, attacks, which are still remembered to this uh, day. But nevertheless, the Greens in many countries were able, if you like, to give themselves a new uh, coat of uh, paint and present themselves as being, to a certain extent, outside the uh, the establishment and therefore able to actually uh, gain significant support in a number of countries. But like all these uh, parties, which have significant increases in support, mm. they are put to the test. And the question is, what happens when they actually come into uh, government? What they actually do they do? And that's what means that for many of these uh, parties, going into uh, government can actually open up a period of uh, crisis for them. So the Greens were seen in Germany by maybe some younger people, by maybe sections of workers, as some kind of alternative to the government which they faced, which was continuing the terrible conditions in which they lived. But of course, there's also one of these new left formations, Die Linke, the left party, which is present in Germany. Why didn't that make gains in the same way that the Greens did? I think there are two reasons, unfortunately, why the Linke actually didn't actually suffered a loss in uh, support in the uh, in the elections quite significant loss in support in these uh, in these elections and the reasons are twofold on the one hand there is the continuing situation where in a number of parts of germany the uh, linker is part of governing coalitions either at city level or at uh, regional state uh, level and in those uh, cases they're not seen as fundamentally different from the other uh, parties mm. secondly the uh, 
left party in Germany does not have a clear uh, programme. Now, on paper, for instance, it criticises the EU for being uh, in the hands of big business and makes a series of criticisms. But that's on paper in its programme. It's not part of its uh, campaign. Mm. It's not a real campaign to say that we're against this EU, which is in favour of capitalism, in favour of big business. The, and that is not the way, to, if you like, a genuine united Europe of the peoples of Europe. That can only take place on the basis of struggle against uh, capitalism itself. And if you like, showing a way in which working people in Europe can work can act together to change a society. That is not the programme they adopted. And so in that situation, if you like, they were not able to hold their support. They lost support. And they were not seen as providing real answers to the issues which face the uh, population in uh, in uh, Germany, which is uh, one of the reasons why you had in Germany the increase in support for the far right uh, uh, AFD, mm-hmm. and also as we mentioned before for the uh, Greens. And what it shows is that you can have a party which even has a reasonable program on paper, yeah. but the question is. Do they campaign on the program? Do they really campaign on it? Do they emphasize what they're what they're fighting for? So it's clear what where they stand, and it's also clear how they want to go ahead and implement their program. I'm sure that's one of the things you discussed in the previous uh, podcast in mm. regard to uh, Britain. Whereas if you look on paper, many in Brit in in Britain, Corbyn. Is, has got a number of policies which are quite uh, striking, which uh, which uh, stand quite clearly, but they're not campaigned upon in a systematic way. They're not campaigned upon every day as a way of mobilising support, but then also showing how they're going to be actually implemented. And in that situation, if you like, left formations can grow, but then they can lose. They can lose support. One of the noticeable things in. Um, in these uh, European elections, was a collapse in support for the Dutch uh, Socialist Party. Yeah. It, it suffered a very big uh, setback in its uh, vote. Mm. At one stage, it was around 10% in, in the electorate. It's It dropped very sharply. There's a crisis opened up in the party. And that shows that, if you like, a electoral success, one electoral success, is not a guarantee of what will happen in the future. We saw that in Scotland a few years ago, with the uh, Scottish Socialist Party, which mm-hmm. had a big electoral success, but then, because of its policies, it lost everything and it more or less disintegrated. Mm. In these elections, we saw in Belgium a very significant increase for the Belgian uh, Workers' Party, the PTP. It scored a big success in the elections in Belgium because there it wasn't just the European elections, it was also national elections taking place at the same time. Right. They had a big uh, success there, but the fact that they had a success in one election is not a guarantee for what will happen. And that's why this question of what parties uh, stand for, what their program is and what they do is so important. Because mm. otherwise, electoral successes or even electoral defeats can be moments, can be fleeting moments. And they don't decide where actually society is going. So program is essential then, a program to appeal to and unite all the various sections of the working class to satisfy all the demands of the mass of the population, but also to be able to take on big business, the profit interests, the capitalists who seek to undermine those because they affect their bottom line. 
And, of course, we would argue as Marxists that if you're going to do that, you need to find an alternative power in society to base yourselves on. And for us, of course, that is the working class, which can shut society down, for example, through strike action. The organised working class represented in the trade unions, for example, has enormous potential power in society. And unfortunately, those aspects of programme and that pointing towards an alternative power in society, which could change the system, in fact, move towards a socialist society, is absent from a lot of these new left formations and from the Greens. So a lot of people will be asking, what will be the effects of this huge polarisation in politics in European countries, both for the capitalist establishment, but particularly for working class and young people aspiring to improve their conditions? I, th I think there are two ways of, of looking at this. First of all, there's the general background, the whole situation, which is one of instability on a world scale, growing tensions between different powers, reflected both between the EU and, for instance, uh, uh, Trump, but also within the EU itself. Mm -hmm. So we have the situation where Trump is still arguing against the EU on the question of trade, mm. threatening, for instance, to introduce extra tariffs on auto exports from the EU to the uh, to the US. At the same time, within the EU, there is a struggle over who's going to, which powers are going to really decide how the EU functions. It's partly linked to a question of who gets which position in the EU itself. There are tensions between the different EU countries on different uh, issues, which of course can be strengthened by the, by the impact of uh, Brexit, not just in Britain and Ireland, but in the EU as a whole. And even the impact of Brexit raises the other questions inside the EU itself, where, for instance, in Italy, there is a discussion which has been going on and off for some time. Should Italy really use the euro currency or should it pull out? Mm. The Italian government is now floating the idea of establishing some kind of parallel currency inside Italy alongside the euro. Technically, that's illegal, but what would happen if they actually carried it out? It would be illegal in terms of the European uh, treaty. So you've got all these sort of tensions, which, of course, can be added by a downturn in the world economy, mm -hmm. which many of the strategists of capital, capital are worried about. And against that European and worldwide background, you then have the situation in different uh, countries mm -hmm. where there's great instability. In France, there was sort of talk that wasn't it good that Macron party got uh, the same uh, result, more or less, as it got in the first rounds of the presidential election. <laughs> it got 22% of the vote. Well, yeah. they're presenting 22% as a victory, yeah. but it means that, uh, what's it, 78% uh, were against him, yeah. those who voted. It indicates he's not exactly popular. All he gets is uh, one in five of the voters. And if you count the people who didn't vote, mm. that's even more are opposed to him. So it's an indication of the instability. As a result of the vote in uh, Germany, the leader of the Social Democratic uh, Party has just uh, resigned. There's questioning how long will the German uh, coalition continue? Mm. Will it last to 2021? So you've got instability in different forms in different uh, in different countries. But what it reflects is not just a rejection of what is happening, but a searching, a testing out what is the way forward, what can be done. And that's why different parties, they enjoy, you know, 
bursts of support electorally or maybe in the opinion polls. But then the question is, can they actually deliver? That's when they're put to the uh, test. It doesn't mean they necessarily immediately collapse. You see that with some of the right-wing uh, uh, parties, the, right, the, the right-wing de- um, populist uh, or demagogic uh, parties, where they can keep their support for a time on the basis of just continually attacking the other parties, mm. mixed in with an element of nationalism and sometimes racism and sometimes racism as well. So it doesn't automatically mean that there's rapid developments from one year to the next. It, it can be, but it depends on the situation. But the most important thing is when there'll be a, a popular idea that something needs to be done. The, the protest voting in elections is not enough. Mm. When actual struggles develop on different issues, you can't foretell immediately what the issues will be, but it's a very explosive situation in Europe. And when struggles actually begin, when people decide, working people especially, decide they have to move into action, that's when you'll see really fundamental uh, changes beginning to take place. And we've seen a little foretaste of that, haven't we, with the Gilets Jaunes movement in France, which we've analysed, including with eyewitness accounts, people who were participants in some of the demonstrations in earlier episodes of this podcast. So the Committee for a Workers International has identified the possibility for big movements in any European country and all sorts of different questions, depending on the particular different situations in those countries, but also, as you've just said, the rising tensions between the different capitalist powers of Europe. So I think a lot of people will be asking, does this mean the breakup of the European Union? Does this mean that the far right, the nationalist right, the populist right is going to make big gains out of that? And what is necessary to have a successful resolution to this polarised crisis situation for workers and young people in Europe? The future of both the EU itself and the euro currency are open. I mean, recently there have been articles celebrating the fact that the euro currency has lasted uh, 20-odd years. And there was almost a sense of surprise that it's lasted for so long Mm. because of the inherent contradictions, the conflicts between the different uh, uh, nation-states in Europe. And it cannot be ruled out that in a time of crisis there could be some kind of reconfiguration of the um, of the euro currency itself, a breakup of the eurozone as it uh, as it currently exists, and at the same time, crises could lead to reconfigurations or massive changes, or even a collapse of the European Union itself, or mm. certainly the collapse in its present uh, in its present form, and that is something which is inherent in the in the, both in the crisis and also the fact that inside Europe. It's still based upon national capitalist states where the Mm. national capitalist classes have got their own interests. Sometimes they can collaborate together, trying to profit together from a situation, but other times they come into into conflict. And this is one reason why, despite the pretense of the apologists for the uh, European Union, it's not going to lead to United Europe and doesn't mean that all forms of tensions and conflicts in Europe have actually been uh, have been uh, done away with forever, and in that situation where you've got these potential crises are developing, the question is, who will show a way out? Right. As you said yourself just a, a moment ago, in this sort of crisis situation, as was as was mentioned, you could have the different nationalist and far right forces attempting to profit from such a crisis 
tempting to profit from a conflict between the different uh, the different uh, EU EU countries. And in that situation, the question would be, what would alternative would the workers' movement uh, pose? Unfortunately, in many countries, the leaders of the workers' movement have become, if you like, apologists for the European Union itself, arguing that the European Union safeguards the interests of working people, which fundamentally it doesn't. And the question of offering a, an alternative is one which is key, of saying, yes, what is the way to, if you like, prevent conflict in Europe? What is the way to secure and develop living standards in Europe? What is the way to begin to break the capitalist system, which by its very nature is unstable, which by its very nature cannot guarantee permanent uh, increases in, li in uh, living standards, etc. And in fact, in terms of crisis, threatens a regression, threatens a falling back. Mm. And in this question of arguing for an alternative, there needs to be a complete change inside the workers' movement in Britain and uh, internationally in Europe. Because what is needed is the adoption of a programme which deals with these uh, issues, which deals with these crises, and accepts that there can be no solution on the basis of capitalism. And that means offering an alternative. Now, how can that be, how can that be visualised? How can that be campaigned, uh, campaigned for? And really what it is, is to challenge the basis of capitalism itself. The question of the basis of, of capitalism, which is production for profit, not from the point of view of the common good. And the point about the workers' movement is, by its very nature, the workers' movement is based upon collective struggle, the idea of working people coming together, struggling collectively for a common goal. And from that comes the idea of what would happen if the, if the economy, if the economic, economic and social resources, not just of countries, but of regions, but of the, of the world itself, were actually planned in the interests of working people and not simply for who makes a profit. And we see today with globalisation that, that, that the idea of international planning is something which is feasible. We see it in how the multinationals operate, in how, if you like, distribution is organised around the world. They plan on a worldwide scale. Mm. They show the technique is there to do it. Mm -hmm. The question is in whose interests. Mm. And that idea of, a, of an alternative, of a collectively based democratic alternative, which decides how the resources of the countries, of the regions and of the world are used in the interests of the vast majority of the, of the population, rather than just as a profit for the few, is absolutely key. And it's this sort of vision which is needed, which can then say that, yes, it is possible to have another Europe, mm. but another Europe which isn't capitalist, which isn't run in the interests of the different uh, European uh, ruling classes, but it's in, run in the interests of working people. That is the alternative which is posed. And if it is not posed, then there is the danger that in a time of crisis, there'll be a fallback towards nationalism, the fallback between rivalries between the different uh, countries, not simply between the different ruling classes, but also how the ruling classes would use that crisis to try and mobilise their own populations in, in uh, hostilities against neighbours. So the only fundamental solution to a society or a world situation which is starting to ratchet up the tensions between competing national capitalist classes on the basis of profit is to eliminate that, to have a system which is based instead of on private profit, on public ownership, on democratic planning of resources, as you have said, which, as we would see, is a socialist society on a national and an international scale, 
And that, of course, is what the Committee for a Workers' International, the Socialist Party is England and Wales section of the Committee for Workers' International, exists to campaign for on a global scale. Exactly. And to, but to make that real, to explain what it actually means, to show what is the potential which exists already, how capitalism has in a way developed the potential but then misuses it, mm. and how that potential can be used in the interests of working people, to have sustainable production, to be able to develop uh, living standards without ruining the environment, to be able to get rid of the fear of uh, booms and uh, slumps, of uh, regular crises, and in that way to give a vision of what life could actually be like. And on that basis, you could have a real transformation. Bob, thanks very much. Thanks, James. If you have questions or an idea for something you'd like to hear us discuss, then write in. The email is socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. And you can help us get the word out. Leave us a five-star review, subscribe so you don't miss out, or share the podcast to help us get more listeners. Socialism is produced by The Socialist Party. This week we heard from Bob Larby, speaking to James Ivans, and I'm Scott Jones. Read more and find out about joining the fight back at socialistparty.org.uk. Until next time, solidarity.